In this episode, we meet Gailey Alex. You might have seen her viral videos on Instagram and TikTok, where she transforms entire houses in 72 hours. Not only that, but she has a full-time job on Wall Street. Gailey has had a career like no other, one born from hardship that inspires her work today. We dive into her process and her emotional vulnerability while she's working. Let's get into it. Gailey, welcome to the pod. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for being here today. Let's just dive right in. Okay. Interior design, question mark. I mean, tell me more about it. What do you want to know about interior design? I don't want to just ask how you got into it, but why is it so interesting to you? Okay, you want me to be real? I want you to always be real. I'll be real. I actually don't love design. I love three things. Mm -hmm. I love my dogs. Mm -hmm. I love falling in love. Mm -hmm. And I love surprising people. Okay. And when I discovered that I could surprise people by renovating their home in a weekend and I could bring my dogs to the installs and I get to fall in love with a new family mm-hmm. every house I do, it kind of scratched the itch, right? Mm-hmm. I checked all three of those boxes and design is just kind of the conduit to achieve that. So you, you're, you're more um, about the emotional repercussions of the designs you do? Unequivocally. I'm an empath in the deepest way. And I think sometimes your greatest strengths are always your greatest weaknesses, right? Mm-hmm. What's great is that I, I feel things really deeply. And I I think one of my superpowers is being able to understand people. Mm-hmm. Um, just like in finance with the market, right? I'm trying to be anticipatory and always looking through the front windshield and anticipating what moves are going to happen next so I can place money in its path to mm-hmm. make more money. Mm-hmm. And I do the same thing with design, right? I, I read the families. I'm kind of like a CIA agent. Mm-hmm. I come in and I look at everything down to the polish on her toes, mm-hmm. um, to what's in their kitchen drawers. And I ask them a million questions and I tell them nothing. Mm. I study them and I try to anticipate things that they're going to need and want that they don't even know they yeah. need and want yet. Mm-hmm. And then they mm-hmm. give me their credit card and a budget. And they leave for the weekend and I move in with my dogs and I don't sleep. My team and I try to give them, you know, a surprise of their lifetime and they come home Sunday and and that's the payoff is seeing their face. Where do you start? Floors and then up or ceilings and down? You start by removing everything that they have. Yeah. Right. So I'm all about upcycling and trying to repurpose. So if I can repurpose something, uh, great. And if not, it goes in the garage and we see if, you know, there's a place to donate it or maybe we can sell it and give the family that money back. But at the end of the day, it's really about wiping it clean Mm. so I can start fresh. And when I tell you we pour love into their home, Mm. you don't just feel it. You actually see it in my installs, all right, made with love all across a living room wall Mm. at the beginning of an install before we start so that I know when I wallpaper over it, it's literally in the Mm. walls. Part of the DNA. Yeah, it just, it feels good. And I do this for feeling, right? So you gotta, you gotta feel good while you're doing it. Yeah. Have your interior design skills improved since you started? 1000%. What was it like at the beginning? At the beginning, well, I still don't know what the hell I'm doing. Mm. I mean, every project, I am just figuring it out. In the beginning, I I really was 
I was just trying to figure out how to make things work and mm. what companies I should order stuff from and how to get things quickly. There's been a lot of forks in the road with, you know, COVID and supply chain issues and all yeah. of that that have, again, forced me to kind of like duck and weave and figure out how to, to yeah. get these done quickly again. Mm. But the longer I do this, the more I find my strengths, right, which is mixing textures, lighting and hardware. Mm. And I give myself a little bit more creative license to to get a little more aggressive, maybe yeah. use darker colors now mm -hmm. or mix metals. Everybody just tries to do all the same metal in a house. Like, let's get fancy with it. Let's yeah. mix it. So, <laughs> so yeah, I find myself taking more risks the more I do it and the risks seem to be paying off. Yeah. Do you have like a signature interior flourish? So... <laughs> I, I love I love that question because it's probably not what people are going to expect me to say. Mm. Have you ever been walking down the street at night on a crowded sidewalk and you're walking with somebody you're falling in love with and you're holding hands and they give your hand a little squeeze mm. and everybody else can see that you're holding hands, but nobody can feel that energy mm. except the two of you because you're communicating silently. That's my favorite part of every design. Mm. What I mean by that is you can see on my my videos on Instagram, TikTok, you can see me pushing in a couch or throwing up wallpaper, hanging a light. What you don't see is what the family is going to feel mm. when they move in and that mom is in that bathtub for the first time and she goes into that glass jar of bath salts that are smell heavenly. Mm. She opens it up and then she reaches in and there's this antique hand-carved wood scoop inside the salt mm. she's going to see that and that's me squeezing her hand yeah. she's going to feel the love that i poured into every detail of their home mm. those are the things you'll never see that ladle inside on a picture yeah but she'll feel it and those are the those are the best pieces in my designs mm. do you get nervous before you show people what you've done to their houses. My eye, my right eye is always shaking during the reveal, but it's not because I'm nervous. It's because I haven't slept for three days Yeah, and it needs, it needs sleep. So my eye is yeah. twitching, but I don't have a nervous bone in my body. It is, it mm. is pure euphoria. And I am 100% only standing on my two feet at that point because of the adrenaline. Yeah, And I will crash for 24 hours mm. of sleep when I'm done because it's manual labor for sometimes 72 hours straight. Yeah. Tell me a bit about growing up and what you liked. Were you in love with design? No. My parents always knew I was a little different mm -hmm. early on. For example, when I was three, I remember my mom said she went out to mow the grass mm -hmm. and she poured a bunch of Legos and Lincoln Logs on the ground so I could play with them and she came in to check on me 30 minutes later and instead of playing with them or building something, I put them back in their bins, color coordinated mm. by length, width, and then I put them back in the toy closet and then I cleaned up the living room. Yeah. And for me, my way of playing was reducing noise. And to me, noise was anything that was asymmetrical, mm. anything that wasn't clean and perfect. And, you know, my perfectionism, which is also a, a blessing and a curse in my life, my perfectionism started really early and, mm. and my, my parents picked up on that. And when you ask, what did you want to be when you grew up? I just would have said two words, the best. Interesting. I just, I wanted to be the best at mm. everything. In fifth grade, I wanted to beat the girls and the boys in the mile 
it was time for <laughs> the fitness award. I wanted to be valedictorian of everything you could be. And I also wanted to be the most liked. And I, I realized today, full transparency, looking back, that was it was very unhealthy mm. how driven I was by trying to be perfect and be the best. And it's why I'm successful in my businesses today. Yeah. But also, you know, it's it's why I've battled mental illness and I've had some really dark days too. Mm. I'm sure it can serve you very well being a perfectionist, but it's a lot of pressure. It is. You said something about track and field. Have you always been running? Is it Was it just running? So, so it's kind of wild. I, I have this proclivity in my, my life of, doing things that I've not got any right to do. I have no mm. background or experience. I was at a division one top running school in the country and I'd never run a cross country race in my life. Mm. But um, sophomore year, I ran this like charity run around campus. And of course, being the competitive crazy <laughs> person that I am, I wanted to beat everybody and I ended up winning it. And the women's track and cross-country coach was there. Yeah. And he came up to me, asked me to pee in a cup. Mm-hmm. And I thought, this is really Not creepy. Really. Swear on my like, life. Yeah. He was like, hi. He goes, do you go to school here? And I was like, yes. And he goes, can you pee in a cup for me? And I was like, no. And he goes, well, I want to drug test you because I want you to run at SECs for us next week. And so I peed in the cup. Mm-hmm. I passed. And a week later, my first running race was for a Division One top running school at SECs for like trying to be the champions. And that was actually the start of my running career. But I pushed myself so hard in that race Mm. that it afforded me the opportunity. And I'll always say yes. Wow. Did it feel daunting going into like quite competitive professional racing? Yeah. I mean, all the the girls, I remember on the plane ride to South Carolina, all the girls were calling me street rat, like Aladdin from Aladdin, because he literally picked (laughs) me up off the street. But then I ended up doing okay. And, you know, they're some of my closest friends. Did you always like have a plan of what you were going to do or have things been very kind of opportunistic as you've gone along? My plan has always been to be two words. The best. The best. (laughs) You're doing remarkably well at it already. Um, I'm Um, just, I'm faking it until I make it real talk. (laughs) Yes. Uh, And then you became an executive at a very prestigious Wall Street Uh, bank group. Yeah. Right. How did that come about? I I never studied finance. I couldn't even tell you what the stock market or a mutual mm-hmm. fund was graduating college. But I just, I knew from all the movies that if you worked in finance, you made money. Mm-hmm. And I knew I wanted to make money. And, um, <laughs> and so I started in a call center, you know, yeah. making less than a school teacher. I was in a sea of cubicles. There were 70 of us, only three women. Mm. I was one of them. And we were smiling and dialing, trying to sell financial products to people across the country. And I'd go home every day with a crease in my hair from the headset oh, that wow. I was wearing so tight. Yeah, And I just, I wanted to beat everybody. So I got there early. I made more dials. I kept more people on the phone. And after a year and a half, one of the largest investment firms in the world reached out. And the gentleman who interviewed me is still my boss today. Wow. And he said he had interviewed 72 people before me over six months. And I was the only one who wasn't 45 Mm -hmm. and male. Mm -hmm. 
And um, I was supremely underqualified, but I tricked him into giving me a chance. And I did 10 rounds in New York and I landed my dream job as an executive at this firm, you know, by the time I was 25 wow. with no actual background in finance. And I'm still there to this day with the same boss. It's brilliant. Just in terms of your journey, you know, this executive saw you and took a chance on you. Okay. Um, the, the coach saw you and took a chance on you. Have there been anyone else who's been integral to getting you where you are today yeah i actually i'm gonna double down on jim the, my boss who took a chance on me at my firm mm. because that's where he first took a chance on me early on in my career and then years later when i was going through my darkest time mm. my fiance had just left me i was checking myself in for a mental health serious eating disorder i was battling mm. and i also had resigned from my firm because it was weeks away from getting married mm. and i was going to move away and live happily ever after so i kind of had a trifecta of losing the love of my life losing my job mm. which was my identity up until then yeah. and my support and also losing my health mm. i reached out to him and I think I called him first after my family. Hmm. And I said, I'd really, I'd really like to rescind my resignation and get my job back. And he said, the firm has never been able to rescind a resignation, but, but I'll, I'll do everything I can. And I told him about my battle. And I think Wall Street is, is probably known for being very conservative and buttoned up and everybody is overachieving and hustling. And so mental health is not something that anyone talks about because mm. it makes them appear weak. Mm. But I was honest with him. And instead of holding it against me, he embraced me. Mm. And the firm did too. They reached out with so many resources. And granted, my performance previously had helped. But there were a lot of gentlemen that actually stood up for me and fought for me. And when I needed it the most, it wasn't my fiance who loved me in sickness and in health. It was mm. actually my firm, mm. which I think is so unique. And I am deeply and forever indebted to him and the firm for doing that. So when people ask, why are you still working in finance when you have this design side hustle? And mm. that's that's the reason why. Yeah. I'm grateful. Yeah. Do you, do you think vulnerability has served you well? <sighs> vulnerability has changed my life. Mm. I'll say that unapologetically. I really hope that in sharing my story, it gives people the confidence to be more vulnerable. Mm. And I always say, you know, if you're around somebody who you think might be battling something or struggling, don't ask them how they're doing. Don't ask them if they're okay or if they need help. You come to them with your own vulnerability. Mm. You tell them what you're struggling with. You show them that you're human and that you're flawed. And it brings down a wall that they didn't even realize was there. And it, it creates a safe space for them to be authentic and you to support one another because we all have battles. Mm. We're all human. We're all imperfect. Mm. And something I've learned the hard way growing up a perfectionist my whole life is that the most beautiful thing about me is that I'm imperfect. Mm. And so I've leaned into that really hard and it's, it's changed my life in every way. I've really felt that. I think it's just amazing. I think when you think about Wall Street being such a notoriously cutthroat, you know, smiling, dialing, getting those numbers up. Truly. So to really be able to give your whole self to that on a much more humane level is incredible. And everything, every, everybody always says that at the end of the day, everything comes down to sales, mm -hmm. right? You cannot be successful in your business if you aren't successful at selling. Mm. But the reality is behind selling, there's always something else. 
people. Mm. People are human. So for me, even with my own clients at my firm, right, I, I meet with clients daily and I advise them on the, the state of our economy and, and investment ideas. And I have realized the more human I am with them, mm. the better our business relationship becomes because it becomes so much more than business. Mm. And I think at the end of our lives, when we're on our deathbed, we're not going to look back and think, how much money did I make? How many deals have I closed? I mean, a little bit. then you are unique in that um but for me i know i i will look back and think you know how many people did i add value to just by existing Mm. how many relationships did i have how many times did i feel deeply feel things and that's what it's all about and again that's why i created this design side hustle I, i don't even charge for most of the projects i do yeah it's truly my payoff is feeling something with the family at the end of it. I was going to ask you what the main difference is between working with your clients on Wall Street and working with a family. Oh, so so compliance is what stops you in everything you're doing when it comes to finance. Finance is riddled with compliance. Mm. And so what ends up happening is I'm swimming in this very tight box and the guardrails are, are really painful for a creative like myself. Mm. So I can write an economic lecture and there's only so creative I can get with my analogies. Yeah. I can give a pitch and I have to swim inside the lanes. With design, there's no box. I can draw all over the page and in the air if I want to. And so, you know, the, the biggest difference between the two is that I'm kind of unabridged and unhinged when it comes to being able to almost go manic yeah. on, on the creative side. Yeah. And I, I, I love that so much. There must be something about working without any confines, without any fear, just going all in. I think everybody always says, you know, they're scared of failure. They're scared to fail. And I think the only way that you fail is simply by not trying. Mm. Right. People should be way more scared of not trying than of failing, because if you try, then you never have to wonder what if. And that is the scariest feeling in the world. What if I could have done something big with my life? What if I could have made more money? What if I could have pursued a career that I actually enjoyed? Because you spend the majority of your life working. Right. Mm. And and if you can design your life so that your life doesn't design you. You do that by just trying things. Just get out there and try. And being creative is a lot of hit and miss. Yeah. Right? I'll try things and I'm like, nope, that is not going to work. <laughs> and then we bring something new in. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not afraid to try. Yeah. I think it's quite good to be prepared to fail. I think as humans, we remember our failures so acutely and our pains because it helps us learn not to feel pain and get things wrong again. So when you think about your past, it's normally like the worst bits, right? True. I also also think there's something so beautiful in pain because if you've really felt pain, that means that you've had an opportunity to be reborn in some Mm. way, right? When you're brought to your knees, you can stand up differently, Right. And for me, you know, going through my mental health battle and being left right before my wedding and and those things like that was an unbearable pain that I I wasn't sure I would recover from. Yeah. And 
this business that developed out of that because people had seen me post videos on my social media of me doing our dream home Mm. right and then they went first one got 30 million views and it just went crazy from there people reached out asked me to help them and after i was done with therapy instead of sitting home feeling sorry for myself i just started saying yes Mm. and helping people and i gave my pain a purpose and i think it's why you see you know mothers who are faced with the the worst feeling you can imagine, which is their child getting cancer. Mm. And then they become these huge advocates and they raise so much money and they build these centers to help children. And it's it doesn't take away the pain, mm. but if you can give it a purpose, it makes it a little less painful and a little more bearable. So I think anytime we go through pain, try to find, I, I try to find, you know, how can I be grateful for this and what I can make of it? Yeah, I think it's really interesting to have had, a certain, I mean, maybe not your whole life mapped out, but at least the next few months. And just to see that, that future, can't the light just go out on it must have been quite daunting. I'm grateful for that experience. I'm grateful for that house because mm. it's what unleashed this just creative beast inside of yeah. me. And I do remember when I was, the house was in Connecticut. And when I was sent back to Florida, I remember waking up on my shower floor Mm. And I woke up because the water was now cold and I was shivering. Mm. And I remember I must have fallen asleep crying there and the water, the hot water ran out and I was laying there and I just consciously thought it's a human instinct to try to get warm when you're cold Mm. and I have no desire to move. Mm. I'm just going to sit here in this cold water and shiver because I don't even care to like take care of myself in mm. any way. Um, and the only thing that, the thing that got me out of the shower was my dogs mm. because I knew they needed to be walked and fed and loved. And they they really saved me when when I needed it. So I'm so grateful for them. And I, I, don't, I don't know if I would be here without them. Mm. There's something just so resilient about your spirit you know <laughs> but like even when all the ash of everything crumbling you you can find something an ember in it and get a fire a phoenix from the flames like like you found that it's it's true i mean i think sometimes when we're in our, our darkest moments i mean i i felt like i was dying with my eyes wide open mm. and i was screaming and nobody could hear it mm. my dogs felt it because they're they they understand us in a, a different way but I always say like it might feel like you're in a dark tunnel and mm. you see the train just barreling straight towards you but if you stand there long enough and you just you just wait it out you'll realize that 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 light is not a train it's actually the light at the end of the tunnel mm. and you you just have to crawl out oh I love that you do have a lot of kind of resilience I'm a, I'm a long distance runner yeah totally do you think that's how you live each moment as a long distance runner I think when people ask how I fit everything into a 24-hour period, just on a daily basis, they feel like I have hours in the day that they don't have. Mm -hmm. And I think the only reason that I accomplish so much in a short period of time, it's not even about efficiency. It's I do what I love and I don't do what I don't love. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is if something isn't fueling me, If it's not giving me energy worth chasing, Mm -hmm. meaning 
I'm not going to settle for a career in middle management if middle management isn't my dream. I'm not going to settle for a relationship with a guy if, if he's not pushing me or if I don't love who I am when I'm with him. Mm. I, I don't settle. And so what that means is that if everything I'm doing are things that I love, it means I have nothing atrophying my energy or mm. stealing energy away because it, think about your friends that tell you, I hate my job or my boss is horrible or mm. I can't stand my partner because I just dread when the garage goes up and I hear them coming home. And I'm mm. like, you are using so much energy that you have in your day towards things that are taking it from you. Yep. If you just cut that out and you only put your energy into activities, into people, into careers that fuel you, mm. You're going to have enough energy to do everything I'm doing, I swear. Yeah, because you're basically being fed by it all. You've got like a huge following online. Do you feel very exposed by it? It's so interesting because with my social media, I, I truly feel like I've done it the right way. And what I mean by that is I have set myself up for success in having a place where I can freely be myself. Mm -hmm. I have not created a social media that makes me feel this propensity to always look perfect or post often or have bikini and yoga photos going mm -hmm. to get thirst traps on. <laughs> for me, it is, it's a place where I talk about my mental health battle and how I sought professional help. It's a place where I can brag about my team and how amazing they are and kind of highlight their lives and their yeah. uniqueness. It's a place where I can promote kindness towards animals and sustainability in the environment. At the end of the day, in my media, the reason I wear a hat, just like I am right now, yeah. <laughs> is because I, I don't want little girls who might see my social media think that they need to look a certain way. I want the focus not to be on how I look. Mm. I want it to be on what I'm creating mm. because our value as people has nothing to do with aesthetics. Our value is what are we doing with our time and what are we doing for others? Yeah. And so I'm always in a t-shirt with a hat and I, I wish I could pull a Gaga and just wear a costume so you never see my yeah. face, but that gets very hot in construction very quick. It, yes. <laughs> so, so back to my Wall Street career, I, I do a lot of analysis of kind of impact investing, right? And we look at sustainability and social governance and try to figure out how corporations are doing well by others and investing mm. in them to reward them for that, right? Mm -hmm. And I look at influencing on social media, like how can I be a, what I'm calling an impact influencer? Mm -hmm. I'm not out here trying to get people to buy flat tummy tea. Mm -hmm. I'm literally trying to just show them that if you can find your purpose, and if you have pain, even better to find your purpose. Mm. If you can be additive to others and, and do what you love, life will be okay. That's exactly what you said about design. It's not about the surface. It's about the feeling. Exactly, right? Just like a cute selfie photo on Instagram versus a perfectly manicured room photo, mm. right? It's not about the picture. How does yeah. the family feel in that room? And what memories are they going to make there? Yeah. What does your day-to-day -day life look like? Do you have a routine? <sighs> if you were to, if you were to look at like my sketch pad where I write all my notes, like as I'm going through the day in any 
three-hour period, it'll probably look like a M. Night Shyamalan storyboard mm-hmm. where nothing makes sense, <laughs> but yet at the end, it somehow makes sense. I, I start out with, I might be writing an economic lecture about what's happening with the Fed funds rate and peak inflation. Mm-hmm. And then I might go into designing a 20-foot industrial place fireplace and how I want the slopes on the, the yeah. arches to curve. And then I might go into drafting an email for my decor line. I have a, a line and right now I'm having to send out a lot of painful emails explaining that Shanghai port is closed and I can't get my containers here and yeah. their decor is another four weeks delayed. Mm-hmm. And it's all over the place. But I, I think the one thing that is consistent in my routine and I implore everybody to consider this is that when you wake up in the morning, if you can start your day with something productive, mm. for me, making the bed. Mm-hmm. Very simple. Nobody might ever see it. I'm going to come in that night and unmake it again just to get into it. But yeah. if you start your day with something productive, as simple as making the bed, it sets the tone mm. for the rest of the day to be productive. And so that's that's the one thing I guarantee do every morning. Mm. You do a lot of different things in a day. How do you stay grounded? I think that the key to being grounded is staying grateful. Mm. And I do think that it's a lot easier for somebody who has been through some really dark times Mm -hmm. to be grateful, Mm. right? When when you're in that place of like, I don't even want to get off the shower floor Mm. and get warm. And then you look in the mirror and you can see the grout lines of your shower tile on Mm. your right cheek. It's extremely humbling. Mm. And it means that going forward, when you laugh again, or when you see somebody else smile, Mm. or you see a grown man cry during a reveal Mm. that you're doing if it's a new bachelor pad, those moments are impossible not to be grateful for because you have perspective. Mm. You have something really dark that you can compare it to. And it, it makes staying grounded the easiest thing I've ever done. Yeah. I'm human. I'm very human. Mm. And we are all very human. And so nobody's better than anybody else. Mm. We all have different skills and different superpowers, but nobody's better than anybody else. And if you realize that, staying true to yourself is not hard. Mm, very true. <laughs> um, so my last question, I answer to all of my guests. In three words, what other traits do you believe make a good boss? It's three words, but it's one thought. Show, don't tell. Interesting. I think all of the best leaders lead by example. So with my team, I show them how to work hard by getting there first and being the last to leave at 5.30 in the morning. Mm -hmm. I show them that we don't cut corners at Gailey Alex Design because I care about every single detail. I show them what it means to be proud of your work and be passionate about what you do and why you do it. And so at the end of the day, you know, showing and not telling, I think is what makes the best leader. Fantastic. On that note, thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. Alex, (laughs) brilliant. Thank you for listening to Behind the Boss with your host, that's me, Raven Smith. If you want to find out more about what it takes to be a boss and the stories behind the inspirational figures of today, make sure to tune in.